Exodus chapter 17. Father, we just come before you tonight, Lord, to thank you and praise you, Father, for a place that we can gather to partake of your word tonight, Father, to learn of Jesus Christ. That as we consider and read all that the Israelites have gone through, including Moses as a pastor and leader, but above all, Father, as a man who trusted you, that we can reflect on our own lives also, all the wanderings that we have gone, all the difficulties that we've endured, either self-inflicted, Father, or brought upon you. But either way, Lord, we just pray for your strength and for your wisdom tonight. We pray, Father, also for a blessing and healing upon our pastor. Uh, We pray that you would make him well, Lord, so that he can be with us this Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. So previously, I need to reconsider what's going on here. We had on chapter 16, uh, the Lord had provided manna. The children of Israel out in the wilderness, and they're grumbling and griping, hey, we want food. Lord sends them manna. Do they remember that? He instituted some certain rules. He instituted rules for the Sabbath, instituted rules for them collecting the manna, and to on what days it should be not collected on, which would have been the Friday for the Sabbath day. Then that day you collect du- double. You collect just for whatever the day's provisions are. Don't exceed it because the manna will turn gross. It turns into worms or, and whatever, and it stinks. People did not trust God. They didn't listen to him. They overabundance stocked up. And then they found out for themselves, like, oh, yeah. Well, then Moses told them, okay, now on the Sabbath day, keep it holy, separate from the rest of the week. You have six days to work. On the one day, you take a rest. That that doesn't mean put your feet up and kick back. That means you set a day apart for the Lord. Consider all his blessings. Look back at what he's done. Look at where you're at now and look forward as to what he has planned for you. Do you know what your will is? Do you know what God's will is for you in your life right now? And so on that Sabbath day, don't do any work. Set it apart and have fellowship with God. And that I'm happy to do is that we do that here on Sundays, right? We have fellowship. It's quite a blessing when we try to start the service on time. There's people still in the back yakking away, having good fellowship. But guys, come on in. It's time for us to worship together. And so that's where we have the institution of the Sabbath there in chapter 16. Now, we have another familiar scene occurring here in chapter 17. Verse 1, it says, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord and camped at Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Does that sound familiar? You remember what happened after the Red Sea? What happened? They go out the other side, wander off for about three days. They just walk through a life's worth of water. Walk through three days, there's no water. They start grumbling. Not just against Moses, but against who else? Against God. Why did you bring us out here so that you can kill us? Please. Why would anybody do any good at one place and then do evil in another place? It didn't make sense. After a huge miracle of seeing a whole nation released and freed, and yet they were grumbling. They said, why not just send us back? Why not just put us back in Egypt where we have the garlics and the leeks and the onions and everything else, and at least we were fed there or we were secure there? Now, here we're going to see another situation. Now, it's interesting here that I want you to note on your verse 1 right there. It says, uh, everybody basically marched through 
through the wilderness of sin. It's not as what we understand sin today in, your, in, our, in our English. It's just an area. Perhaps it's a, um, uh, from the area of Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, I don't know. Uh, I didn't have a chance to look it up. I apologize. But it's not as what we consider sin, what we know as. But it says there, according to the command of the Lord, many times throughout Exodus, God told Moses, I will take you and the people into a land where, to a mountain to where you will worship me, and then I will lead them into a land flowing of milk and honey. Moses had considered and really was there from the beginning. He was on the same page as God. God says, I will do this, I will do this, and then you shall, or you shall not. Moses, firsthand, not only conversed with God, but he was able to experience all of God's assurances and promises. So he had firsthand, would you say, a relationship. He was right there. Lord, if you said it, man, it's going to happen. Now, you would think now as the people were witnessing the ten plagues, the ruination of the Egyptian army, the crossing of the Red Sea, the provision of water, manna, everything else. You would think that they would fall in line too. It's like, man, this is an awesome God we serve. He's not restricted to Egypt. Look what he did to those gods there. But now we're on the other side over here and he's still with us. He traveled with them in the pillar of cloud by day, pillar of, cl- uh, pillar of fire by night. They had to have seen this. This could not have been some kind of oasis or some kind of a cosmic supernatural thing that you see only in the desert at night. Whatever the case, they had all these opportunities to know that there was a God that was providing for them. And it says here that they walked to this one area according to the command of the Lord. Now, it says there that there were no water for people to drink. They're following this pillar. They obviously, could not have been Moses saying, Okay, guys, come on, follow me. We're just going to go along here. This is where God told me to go. That's not the point. They followed this pillar. And it says that there was no water there. What is their first reaction? Through all the provisions, through everything that was given to them, what is their reaction? Verse 2 says, Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Now, this isn't a request. This isn't, uh, hey, can you give us, can you hook us up over here? No, it's more of a demand. We demand that you give us water. After all this trudging around, I mean, you got to admit, what, two million plus people trudging through the desert, including livestock and stuff? Okay, well, I can see where people are getting thirsty, but now they're demanding it. They're not asking, hey, can you find us some water? They probably dug wells along the way or found other various springs. But after a time, there is absolutely no water here. They said, basically, give us some water now. We demand it. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why? Okay, I understand that you can ask me to perhaps intercede to God for you, but you know what? In chapter 15, we all sang a song together. You guys acknowledge God is who he is. You can ask too. Why do you come to me? So they're demanding, we want water. We want water. You know, they're demanding. So, hey, whoa, 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 what are you guys coming to me for? And, and then he, he goes on to say, why do you test the Lord? Now, the term test here, it doesn't mean like, okay, Lord, next question. Let's see if you get this right. It's more like a questioning in a trial to find out, to, to come to a verdict. 
Why do you test the Lord? Why are you basically cross-examining the Lord to find out if He is God or not? Why do you question as to if He's going to provide for you? And that is pretty much an insult, don't you think? They witness so many things, and yet there they are. Okay, I can see grumbling against Moses. Moses, we need help here. But instead, it goes on even further. Remember, the first time they ran out of water... Why have you and God? They blame God. Remember, they even blame Moses. And the Lord says, okay, look, he is my representative. If you're blaming him, you're blaming me. He's only doing what I'm telling him to do. So here they are again, quarreling with Moses, arguing, demanding. And he goes on to basically say, okay, what you're doing to me is you're actually going to the backbone here, and that's the Lord here. Verse 3 says, But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? There's the question again. Why is it you? They were guilty of ingratitude and unbelief, still wanting to go back to the old life. You know what? Things were much better back then. At least we knew where everything was. Out here, we're out into this world. We have no idea of what we're going, what we're doing. And you're going to make us starve and you're going to make us die of thirst here. It took 40 years. Well, actually, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, but it'll take them 40 years for Egypt to get out of Israel through their unbelief and through all their grumbling. And verse 4 says... So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. The first thing that a leader does, he knows where to go. Lord, I need your help. What can I do here? These guys are going to kill me. They want to have a rock concert. They're going to stone me. You know, and if you recall, they wanted to do the same thing when they got to the edge of the Red Sea. They were ready to pick up stones and hurl them. Hey, you know, we're going to turn your body over that we, we, we can go back home with these Egyptians. Well, that wasn't the intent of the Egyptians, remember? They wanted to retrieve their property and bring these, make these people go back to work. So, he's crying out to the Lord. He knew what to do. The people, they should have had some kind of clue. They were thirsty. They, they needed something. They were more concerned about feeding their bodily desires and wants and needs rather than concentrating what was spiritual. Recall how Pastor was taking us through John and how the feeding of the 5,000, the Lord provided for everybody. And what happened the next day? They went looking for him. Hey, sugar daddy, where are you at? I want some more of this stuff. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what it's about. I provided for you guys for your bodies. But there is something deeper than that. And if you recall, he says, if you want eternal life, you must eat my body, eat my flesh. And then, oh, no, don't want any of that. You know, these are two hard things to hear. We can't, I wouldn't agree with this stuff. And so they end up leaving him. A lot of people even split, too. And, and no matter how Jesus tried to explain it to them, it's not about this. It's about being with God. What is your relationship with God here? And so Moses did the first thing that a leader should do, or someone who trusts in God. Lord, he cries out to God, I need your help here. I know what your plan is. Your plan is to, as you've told me many times before, we're going to go to this other land, the land of the Canaanites, and you're going to take us through these other places here. 
I know where your destination is, but I don't know what the plan is in between. It's more like if you can consider standing on one hilltop and you see another hilltop over there. Okay, I can see all that. I just don't know what's in between in the valleys. So he cries out to God. The one place that we should all go to. But it's interesting how they wanted to stone him. And it's kind of reminiscent. You know, I mean, here's the question. What would have happened if they'd have succeeded or been allowed to stone Moses? Do you think Aaron would have said, okay, I'll step in. <laughs> right. I'm next in line for the rocks. I see that one with my name on it. What would have happened? These people were, probably would have been stuck out there. It's almost reminiscent of John chapter 10, verse 32, where Jesus says, uh, Many good works have I shown you for my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? They want to stone Moses. What did he do that was deceptive or even that was wrong? And here it is again where the people says, why is it that you? Right away they're pointing the finger, you, 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 you. And it's more like a disobedient people. They want to find, they want to find a scapegoat. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. And of course, like a mob mentality, everybody starts to feed everyone else. It's your fault. And isn't that something about disobedience? How far back we slide. I can relate to tonight's testimony. I mean, I'm doing that all the time. I'm sliding every day and I'm climbing right back up. It's like trying to run up a sand dune, you know, one step forward, four steps back. It just doesn't work. Hmm, I think if I had a clue, I think I'd stay be on top a little bit. <laughs> okay, verse 5 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. God is telling them, okay, here's your next instructions. You know, in front of all these people here, I, would don't, I, don't, I only don't want you just walking past, you know, past in front of everybody, but I want you to grab all the elders, perhaps however many of each tribe. These people are going to serve witnesses for you. I want you to go by them, and I want you to take, the only equipment that you're going to take is your staff. Remember, not only did he strike the Nile and it, what happened? It turned into blood. But before that, what was the first miracle? It turned into snakes. So he says, with this same tool, and it's also the same one where he stretched over the Red Sea and it parted. Also, when he called forth the locusts and sent them back out again, the same tool. He says, I'm going to have one more task for you to do. Verse 6 says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Here, okay, he says, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to stand on a rock, or on the rock. I would like to have seen that. What, how, could the, how could he have seen the Lord? The Lord says, I will meet you there. I will go before you. I'm going to provide. I'm going to, I'm going to take you to the place where your next provisions are going to be at. Was it a cloud of smoke? How did Moses know? Don't know. But the thing is that the, he knew which rock to go to. And he says, I'm going to have you strike the rock. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, why don't we all go there? 1 Corinthians 10. chapter 4 and we have another um, of what Paul takes us through here in 1 Corinthians 
We'll go ahead and start with verse 1 there. It says, Moreover, brethren, I'll be reading from the New King James here, since I have two Bibles up here. I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, from what I understand, um, a lot of the earlier, not commentaries, but more for the like the uh, the, the, commenta- the commentators for the Hebrew writings, they they thought it was a physical rock, an actual rock. Hey, look at this! This rock is rolling along with us. This rock's following us. No, Paul is speaking here in the in the. <laughs> thanks, Stephen. <laughs> Paul is speaking here in the spiritual realm here. Who followed them? Remember, who led them through the desert? And now we see here that, that Moses was, was supposed to strike this one rock, and it provided water for them. It says Jesus. Jesus was that spiritual rock. The first time, well, we see manna coming down from heaven. Remember, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he says later on, I am the water. Many man who thirsts come after me. Here we see how many times was Jesus crucified? Only one time. Unfortunately for other denominations, they think it's a daily thing. But the scriptures tell us that he only died once and once for all. He only had to be struck once. So this one rock, he, Moses took this, his rod and he struck the rock with it and out poured out flowing water, enough to water the millions of people and their livestock. Now, we have these other uh, commentators who try to naturalize, again, these, these occurrences, and they say, well, maybe it's perhaps a thin layer of limonite, that all you need to do is just hit it. Okay, all this pressurized water behind there, how behind this thin limonite? Gotcha. But the case is, is that once and for all, all you had to do was strike it. Now, we'll see over, I believe, in Numbers 10, I'm sorry, Numbers 20, to where... Moses is told by God, people are grumbling again, we want some water. And God told Moses, speak to the rock, and the rock will give you water. Moses, except this time he's really in the flesh, he says, how long will I have to endure you people? And he takes his rod and he takes a swing on that rock. Unfortunately for Moses, he was the one, the last one that was left aside from Joshua and Caleb, thank you that could enter into the promised land. But because he was disobedient to God, that he was not allowed to go into the promised land. So the first time is a rock. Also, the second time was a boulder. First time you had to strike it. Second time you had to speak to it. So even though they might be similarities and such that they both gave out water, but they were both in different places. One was in Horeb and the other one was at um, Kadesh Barnea. I believe. So back at Exodus chapter 17. Chapter 17, we'll go back to verse 6. It says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? That is a scary question. Is the Lord among us or not? Is God for me or not? Here I am. I don't have any water. I don't have this and this. I don't have that and that. 
is God for me or not? And I must confess to you that there have been times to where I felt that, Lord, I'm all alone here, man. What's going on? Are you with me or not? But that is not, that is not the case. You know, how we've, if, uh, how we've talked about earlier how there have been times to where I felt way up on top, so close to the Lord, and the next thing I do something so dumb that I feel so far away. Did the Lord move? No, that's not the case. I actually slid back and away. The Lord is always there waiting. It's just a matter of us, like Tom said, getting back up and getting, taking that ride again. You've got to get back on. Got to get back on. No matter what the situation. And if, and if we think or feel anything else, that's not coming from God. Where's it coming from? I want you to go over to Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. Is God for us or not? Is He going to provide for me? Is He going to be there for me? Is He going to supply for me? Romans 8. And we'll just go ahead and start with verse 28. And it says, And we know that all things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called, who are the called according to his purpose. For, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Verse 31 says, What then? Shall we say to these things, if God has called you, he says, he has called you out. You are a special people. He has a special purpose for you. And if all these things, what can you say then? What can you say to these things? Verse 31 says, what shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that is something that we should write in our hearts. Remember that, even in our lowest points. If God is for me, then you know what? Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. No matter what someone might say about me, I just know that the Lord is for me. No matter what someone may remove or take away from me, the Lord is for me. If you are His, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Verse 32 says, He, he who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The Lord wants to bless us. If he is for you, then who can be against us? Verse 33 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Another question here in verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Though we might have our adversary going, what about this guy? He claims he's a Christian. Look at all the dumb things that he's doing all the time. And Jesus says, Lord, Father, he is mine. He intercedes for us. Who can bring condemnation to us? Only God can. But our Lord Jesus, our mediator, our high priest, stands up for us and intercedes for us. Verse 35 here says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is there anybody that can separate us from the love of Christ? That is such a strong bond. For those of us who are parents, you have children, 
you have that strong bond with your child, even though you might want to kill them sometimes, but still you, you would want to do anything for them. But how much more so with God, the Father, God the Son, how much, how much love is there that He laid down His life for us? It says, Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, can any of these things separate you from the love of Christ? Verse 36 says, as, is, as it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced or persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? And these people, even though they've experienced and seen and beheld, how can they have not how can they ask such a question? Okay, now we've now we can step outside from these guys, now we can look in the mirror. How has God worked in our lives? How can we dare even ask that Lord, if you are you for me or against me? Are you with me or are you gone? And that is not a question that we can ask. That is out of disobedience. That is out of lack of faith, distrust, to think that God would not follow through. Man, it's pretty harsh. I know um it's like I've said before, you know, I trust God in all things except for the things that I try to, you know, try to help him out with. You know, there's a big boulder in my way, Lord, I know you can take care of it. And like I said, it's that pebble in my shoe that really gets my goat and I just lose it. So the term Masa means that the term there back in Exodus seventeen, that place he named this place Masa and Meribah. Masa means tempted and Meribah means strife or contending. You know what? Every place that these people have encountered, including throughout the Old Testament, if there was a, um, a particular event, that they would call the place according to that event. Well, Masa and Meribah are two places that you don't want to be at. Well, what were they striving for and, and tempting about here? These seem like bad places. We've all got these Masa and Meribah's places in our own lives. If we can look back and look at life's journeys before and after we met Christ, we probably see a wilderness wandering going off on our own way too. When we've tested and contended and strove against God, it's enough that we have enough with other people, but when we do it against God throughout, you know, with lack of trust, that's another thing. We are not better than these Israelites. We, we can easily criticize like, man, how can you guys not see that? But when we look in the mirror, it's like, oh Lord... <laughs> Oh man, my bad. If God is for us, and who is against us? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 17 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As God was with the Israelites there in the desert, our Lord is with us 
No matter what, we had just read, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely nothing. And another assurance is that no matter what we are going through, Jesus assures us that He is with us always. And that, folks, is a blessed assurance. Amen? So come Sunday, we have every reason, no matter through whatever uh, physical ailments, spiritual ailments, we can worship Him. If God puts us in a place, do we trust Him to bring us out? Perhaps He has us in a place that we don't understand, but are we still going to worship God? I know that's my goal, and I strive with that every day. I try to, you know, Lord, <laughs> um, help me to be like you. Please. I can't deal with the guys I work with. Uh, the average age with the, I'm not kidding you, the average age of these guys is, I um, say, 45, 48, and every other word's the F word. And I don't get it. I just don't get it. They use it as a noun, as a pronoun, as an adjective, as, as a verb. Um, <laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> and gee, I wonder why they find offense when I grab a dictionary and toss it their way. They say, what is this for? Fill in the blank. And I'll say, well, there's some other words in there. You learn them. <laughs> so the children of Israel here are complaining and complaining and complaining. They're always trying to find some kind of reason, it seems like. You know, if it's not a, just a gimme, gimme thing, it's like, I want, I want, I want. Um, the complaining, it's, it's, being not, it's not obeying the will of God. If you really think about it, we can complain, Lord, Lord, Lord. Are we in the will of God? Do we trust God to give us what it is that we need? Compliance, though, is obeying the will of God. Are you satisfied with what you have? Are you satisfied in knowing that the Lord will bring you through no matter what? Even if it's in the 11th hour. Isn't it awesome how if you think about it in our own lives, the 11th hour, Lord, I need this now. <laughs> I'm going to make you sweat on this, buddy. Well, why? Why does God allow us to sweat it out? to bring out our character, to know what we're made of. God knows what we're made out of. But also to prove His power, amen? God is an awesome God. Do we trust God? Will we obey? Will we comply? And as... um, I wouldn't want to wrestle God. I think I would lose. (laughs) So it's either God's way or God's way. Either way, He's going to win, amen? Father, we come tonight again, Lord. We just want to thank you, Father, so much for your word. And I pray, Father, that um, with the limited time of studying that I had, I just pray, Lord, that you were able to speak to us. Not so much my opinions, Lord. I pray that those were casted out, but that by your word that you have spoken to us. And help us, Lord, to apply your word in our lives. Help us, Lord, to trust you and to remember your blessed assurance. You are always with us, Lord, even until the end of the age. And Father, thank you so much that there is nothing, nothing on this earth, in this life that can separate us from you because of your great love for us, Lord, that you hold us together. We thank you, Lord, so much. And I pray again, Father, for a healing upon our pastor. In Jesus' name, amen.